0: Once again, we come to the issue of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Like we said the weeks before, this is the most difficult issue in all of theology. Okay, If you've ever talked to somebody outside of church, this is the most difficult issue uh, in all of philosophy. Okay, let's, let's just go on this. I want you to think with me before we jump into 1 Peter one twenty. And then we're going to do most of the examples tonight. But let's imagine if God does not exist, okay? And if you had this matter that was existing for all of eternity, right? The stuff that supposedly contracted at the Big Bang, remember? And then it then it got very hot and then it exploded and so forth. From that, everything that is came forth, okay? Let's imagine if God does not exist and the uncaused Big Bang is the explanation for why we're here do you think that we would have any type of choice or free will or would we be biological molecular machines
1: everything would be a function of what you were born with genetically and your experiences
0: that
1: would determine every
0: decision bingo yeah and you know the Bible talks about the soul and our heart, what we truly are, the essence of what we are, like the real, the real Ben, the real Whitney, the real Jeff, the real Michael. That is what we are. Our physical body is not who we are. It's uh, kind of as Paul says, it's 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 what holds us together. Okay, it's it's what is um, our body now. If God doesn't exist, then the soul doesn't exist, right? Because the soul is a spiritual thing. The the heart, not the physical heart, but but the heart, you know, who we are, the emotions and so forth, can only be explained if God doesn't exist. It's just functions of chemicals coming together, right? So if you ever talk to an atheist, an atheist even, um, there's a guy who teaches at Cornell named Will Provine. He's a very lost um, uh, atheist and I know he contracted a rare form of brain cancer. I'm not sure if he passed away, but he said that if you believe in Darwinian evolution, you cannot hope to believe in free will. And free will, he defined it as any type of choice. Do you know what that means that if God doesn't exist, then you and I do what we do because of the, the, the chemicals that make up who we are. Well, where did those chemicals from come from? Our parents? Well, what made up our parents? Their parents. And you take it all the way back to the Big Bang, and the only thing that was in that scenario is stuff. No God, no soul, no spirit, no Holy Spirit, no conversion, no transformation. It's simply stuff, right? And H2O, whatever it is, acts as it is. That means that natural laws are the only thing that happens. So that's something that a lot of people today in popular culture in the U.S., when you begin to talk about God's sovereignty or human free choice, they say, well, I don't believe that God exists, but I choose. No, you don't. You react. Right? So that's, that's just a little little caveat that if you're ever talking to an atheist, you need to understand that, that there is no um, type of choice if God, God doesn't exist. Um, uh, 1 Peter one twenty says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The Wycliffe Bible tra- uh, commentary says, quote, Christ's suffering was no emergency. It was God's best plan and view of man's sin. And I'm just going to read this. This is from a, a New Testament scholar, Kenneth Wiest. Because this issue that, have ever read the Bible and, and it says things such as foreordained? Okay, and you're kind of like, what does that mean? Here's, here's what he says. Quote, foreordained in the Greek text means, quote, to designate beforehand, unquote, to a position or function. In the councils of the triune God, the Lord Jesus was the lamb marked out for sacrifice. Foundation is the translation of a word meaning literally to throw down and was used of the laying of the foundation of the house. Before this universe was created, the Lord Jesus had been foreordained to be the savior of lost sinners and the saints who had been foreordained to become recipients of the salvation he would procure for lost sinners at the cross. So this kind of backs up to what we've been studying the last two times, that the cross was not plan B. Now let's stop right here because there's a lot of questions. Somebody said, why would God have in his plan from the foundation of the world that his son was to be killed? I mean, that, that, that's, that's kind of like, you know, dad, what are your plans? Don't worry about it. You're going to be, you know, like, how does that work out? Well, number one, what that does is it's going to demonstrate the greatness of God's glory in this sense. God created Adam and Eve. Remember we talked about those Those big words we can throw out, right? The CCFs, the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, which in other words means that if God creates moral beings, he creates them with the ability to choose him, to love him, or to reject him, right? Which was what Adam and Eve were. God said, you can follow me, and you can eat of any tree, but don't eat of this tree. But then we talked about, well, could God have created a world in which there would be no sin? Well, in a sense, God could have, but in that world of sin to where they were only pre-wired to do what was good and there was no way they could actually choose God, then would it really be a good world? It would be a world of robots, right? It'd be a world of robots and then somebody steps back and they say, well, which is better, a world in which love exists or a world in which simply machines exist? So God, when he, um, as the Bible says, foreordained that Jesus would be the Savior of people, it demonstrated the greatness of God in two ways. It demonstrated the love of God, okay? Why would God send Jesus to die for lost sinners? Because of the greatness, right? That's, that's BBS. We all got that, okay? God, love, God is love, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. It demonstrates God's love, but it also demonstrates God's justice, right? This, once again, is is VBS material. That when Jesus came and died, he absorbed the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon the Son of God so that both the love of God was given to the world, but the justice of God also was satisfied. And so it's like there's no area that God didn't cover with that. So it's kind of like God says, I'm going to create a world. You can choose me or you can reject me. They rejected God. Everything went to pot. I mean, we know history and history today is still right, incredibly, incredibly messed up. But what God is doing is he's allowing it to take its course. And ultimately, in the end, as we're going to look at with the book of Revelation, God's going to fix it all. So it's kind of like he lets it get, theoretically, as crazy as it is going to get, but yet he still has a plan and through the cross, through the justice of God being satisfied, through the love of God being demonstrated, he eventually fixes quote unquote everything. So when we, when we think of that, of that word for ordained, we're going to end up, hopefully if we can, um, if you want to hold this in your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 verse 28, but we're actually going to go all the way through verse 30, which makes chapter 8 verse 28 that much cooler. It's awesome. Um, So here's the question, does this mean that God has a plan, alright, does the plan of God mean that persons are not morally responsible for their choices, does that mean that I'm a, uh, some type of a a molecular machine, Acts chapter 2 verses 17 and 21 says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, and it shall come to pass that, how many, y'all help me out, yeah, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, so this is an open invitation from scripture, that, who's going to be saved if they call on the name of the Lord? Everyone. Okay. Aren't you glad? That's, that's good. Some people, I, what I really enjoy, if you read certain commentaries, it is sometimes, and I, I hope, because when we go through this, all of us are going to have knee-jerk reactions. I mean, my knee is out of joint because of studying for this. Because of, number one, we talked about the first week, we're Americans, what do you think our Americanism has to do with our view of God's sovereignty and human responsibility? How do you think that may bleed into our interpretation of what the Bible may teach?
1: We react against sovereignty, against preordination. We like to think we have free will, we have the choice.
0: Okay. Good. Yeah. Like, if there's any possibility that God could have a plan. That didn't involve me giving God the okay beforehand, then that plan is immoral. Alright? We're not saying the Bible teaches fatalism, but that could be something else. What what else? Our individualism, our Americanism, our and I know we're in the South, but the, as other nations call it, the Yankee ingenuity. You think that we could have a really, really strong view of our ability. To control things and a strong reaction against someone else who may be in control of the events of our life. That goes back. That goes back to the American Revolution, throw off the king, right? And so, a lot of times that happens um, with us today. All right. So sovereignty of God in the New Testament, uh, Book of Revelation. In a, in a sentence, how can prophecy be prophecy if it's uncertain? Right. That's a that's a basic point. Like, how can it be? You know, God's saying this is gonna happen when it's a probability. What would be your view of God if God says this is going to happen, but he's not really sure if it's going to happen or if it may happen? Then he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Yeah, he's not omniscient. Bingo. Ben, you're on it, man. <laughs> all right, robots. This is where we stopped last week. Does God's sovereignty and control of all events? Uh, including the future, require that we be robots. Now let me qualify this right here, in control and control of all events. Uh, I've been reading through Amos, and I would really challenge you, and this is for a lot of people who grew up in evangelical churches today, a very difficult thing that God has a hand in everything. Okay? Why do you think that that may be difficult for us to accept?
1: Because we tend to anything bad that happens. Why did God allow that to happen? Okay. And if it says that God works all things together for good for those for, well, that means that God does work all things together for good. Even really bad things that happen. But, there again, he's looking from this perspective and he's looking over an infinite amount of time and a human perspective is just too small and narrow to see
0: all the ramifications. Awesome. So, Michael, you're going to preach on Sunday. Because you just, I don't know, you, you got it in the notes, hacked in there. He just hit it on the head. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, because you said that it's like we see with, I don't know, remember how you phrased it, but with human vision, in other words, and God is, God is up here. And that's the issue, okay? And something that, and this is, this is such a huge issue, something that I'm continually asking the Lord to do and say, Lord, just because I don't understand it, would you help me to remember that just because Jeff's mind, which is pretty small, just because I don't understand it, help me not to reject it. Or help me, Lord, if I don't understand how all of this fits together. And here's the thing. If you guys can explain to me how every single one of these texts fits together perfectly in a mechanical sense, I will buy you... Uh, uh, a heart attack sandwich at hardy's later on like this is something that has had the most brilliant christian scholars all through the centuries you have godly people who fall anywhere uh in in the mix so once again before we jump in this is not a test of fellowship okay so if we know someone who may come down really 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 strong on god's sovereignty don't tell them they're going to hell all right or if we have somebody who's really, really strong upon the human choice, it doesn't mean that, that they're lost. We on the same page with that? Okay. All right. Good deal. So human responsibility, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. The <coughs> Bible says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So there's no sense that people are robots here, Right? because you don't tell robots to choose you simply program robots and they do what they're programmed to do. Joshua 24:15 and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord I lo- this is a great 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 speech. Choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen and amen. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping? I love that. Between two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. But they did after God really showed out. And it was awesome. John 3.16, we know the text for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever volitionally from the will believes in him, right? Because that's what it is. Belief is an action of the will. Something that deep down inside that you do, you reach out in faith, should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Last week we looked very briefly at Joseph. We looked at the text in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. This is one Joseph was there. I think most of us here, Wednesday night Wednesday night crowd is a cream of the crop, man. You know, it's one of those things that's uh, A-plus Bible students, so we don't have to go into as much detail. This is that Joseph, after he had been sold to slavery, said, um, and he's now number two in the top kingdom in the world. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Psalm chapter 105, we're not going to read all that. Verses 17 through 24 speaks of, in verse 17, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Speaks of God's plan um, in Joseph being uh, sent away. And I think, okay. This is what Miller Erickson says about Joseph. He said, it did not please God. It was not consistent with what he is like. God did, however, will to permit it. And the yet here is Joseph being brutalized by his brothers being sold in slavery and so forth. He did not intervene to prevent it, right? Because remember what Joseph said about his brothers? You meant it. For evil. And interestingly enough, God used their action to produce the very thing it was intended to prevent Joseph's ascendancy, right? Joseph being the one in charge. So, this is an amazing story of God using evil actions from evil people to produce an ultimately good outcome. Case in point Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Um, Samson. Another interesting example, Judges chapter 14, beginning verse 1 says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. That's a... Parents, I mean, what what would you do if your child came to you and said, I just went to... um, There's not really a moral equivalency... I went to a very bad place on Friday night and I found a person whose morals are virtually non existent. Go get her for me. Or daughters, go get him for me. Like, how, how, what does that communicate to you right here before we jump into verse 3? What does that communicate to you about Samson's state of, of mind or his heart before God? Yeah, not, not good, okay? Maybe the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Okay. Maybe the first commandment, um, you shall have no other gods before me, which means God's word first, which God said, don't intermarry with pagans because they will pull your heart away from the Lord. So verse three, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. And a little little exegetical note for Samson. When he makes the comments about these pagan women, and he says, you know, Delilah and so forth, she is good to my eyes. What did Samson end up losing? They put out his eyes. Which when you talk to students, you talk, talk about teen suicide and so forth, female, male students, I mean, seventh grade through college, this is a powerful, powerful text because if you tie that into the New Testament teaching of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and says that right, these things are passing away, the world is passing away, but he who does the will of God, 1 John 2.17, abides forever. Powerful, powerful um, text there. So, the, the Old Testament's awesome. I know you guys know that, but it's really, it's really great. Uh, Judges 14.4. His father and mother did not know that it, what? All the family drama, was from the Lord. For he, God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. So here is God. Once again, the the first night we looked at, and this is kind of where you say, Jeff, where do you fall in all of this? At this point, with what I understand, the Bible, I believe that God is totally sovereign. I believe that God's plan um, is not going to be thrown off By our unfaithfulness, okay? Or by tyrants. But I believe that God places people in specific situations. God created them. He knows who they are. But some people turn away from the Lord and God knowing that because God knows all things that are true, right? That may be something too that's helpful. We say, what is the foreknowledge of God? The foreknowledge of God, God knows, all right, the future, but He knows the future because it's certain. Because God doesn't know things that are not true. Right? God can't, God can't know something that's not true. say, so, well, does that mean that God, there are things that God can't do? Well, it's kind of like saying that there's a person who's so brilliant in math they can never get anything wrong. Does that mean that it's a detraction from their ability as a mathematician? No. It's like, you know, basketball player who's so good he can never be dunked on or never be beaten or never scored on. But I believe what the, what the Bible's teaching in these texts, and we'll look at a couple more, is that God is placing these people here they are not robots, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. But God is so powerful that He's using even their rebellion to work out His perfect will. Okay, we'll, we'll look at look at another one. And if, if this is confusing, then, then welcome welcome to the party. But once again, it's it's going to be um, one end or the other. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter two, verse seventeen. Hophni and Phineas. Remember Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, the really really corrupt preachers' kids. And they're doing everything, they're sleeping with the women who were designed to help out with the house of the Lord. They were rejecting God's, God's word. Man, we're running out of time again. Alright, here we go. The um, Bible says, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So who here is doing the wrong? Young men. Bingo. Bingo. Alright. Second Samuel uh, chapter 2 verse 22 through 25 now Eli was very old and he kept hearing that all, that his sons were doing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting and he said to them why do you do such things for i hear of your evil dealings from all the people know my sons it is no good report that i hear from the people of the lord spreading abroad If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, right here, I put this in our notes, it almost seems like that case where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, does the Bible also say that Pharaoh hardened his his own heart? Yes, yes. Let's imagine if the Bible, which it does, God hardened Pharaoh's heart first. Okay? Now that, that's kind of sticky, right? Because it kind of makes God look like the bad guy because he's hardening people's heart. But what kind of heart do you think Pharaoh had that oppressed God's people for all those years? Do you think that Pharaoh's heart was clean? What's that? It was an evil heart. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you could you could throw anything everything in there from racism, I mean it was a specific ethnic group that was being oppressed, and that's one of the big issues. People come to this and they say, "Okay, they would not listen, but apparently God did not supernaturally intervene after he and they had heard the teaching of the word every day." So not only was it a depra- not only was it a depraved heart of Hophni and Phinehas, but it was also a heart that had been hardened to the word of God. And some people have issues with this, but didn't God give them a lot of chances before? What did their dad do? Their dad even appealed to him. This is a last-ditch effort. And even when we read texts like this, let's not make God out to be the bad guy. Because even when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and it, and it says it first, and I didn't know that for a while, You're not talking about God coming along and finding a person who's loving the Lord that says, God, just direct me and lead me wherever you lead, I'll go. You're talking about a tyrannical monster, a murderer who later, right, declared that the Hebrew boys that were born should be infanticide, no exceptions. So this is simply, and if if you're taking notes, I I would write this down. In a sense, these texts is God just giving people more of what they already wanted? That's what it is. It's God saying, you know what? You don't want me in your life. You harden your heart to me. If that's what you want. You can have it and I will give it to you 100%. That's in the case of Hophni and Phineas. That's in the case of Pharaoh and people all throughout Scripture um, as well, which is scary. Why would that be scary? We know that the Lord is long-suffering and patient, right? You were gonna say something, Michael. Sinners in the hands of an
1: angry God.
0: Classic sermon, right? Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, definitely. And this is a lot of stuff that we don't talk about today, right? We just don't talk about it. But especially when you read the Old Testament, it's there. But when does God usually send judgment? And this next example um, will probably give us. Can y'all see that? We've got some retro, Jonah, Jonah and Fish. Right. I didn't say Jonah the whale. Usually somebody you say whales. What in the whale? You know. Here it is. This may, this may illustrate our point. Jonah chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a sermon. That's it. Some people are like, Boy, that would be an awesome sermon. We'd get out, like we'd beat everybody, you know, to Hardee's or wherever it is on Sunday. That's it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What did God tell Jonah to tell the people? Forty days and you're done. He says that, but notice here, and the people of Nineveh believed God, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Anybody remember, was it overthrown in 40 days? God gave him mercy. Why do you think Jonah ran? Yeah. Remember his complaint at the end of the book? He, his, his complaint in so many words is, Lord, I didn't want to preach, the, want to preach your word to him because I know that you would desire mercy instead of judgment. So even though, this, and this, is, this will hopefully help us when we translate and read the Bible as well. God says, yet 40 days and it shall be overthrown. That seems kind of immovable, right? But there's always an offer of mercy within judgment. That's what the book of Revelation as well. And it's not seven years strictly of wrath. It's seven years of God telling people more and more, "You're wrong. I'm the one who can change you." So, even within judgment statements, there's an embedded offer of mercy. So that will help us when we understand things like Hophni and Phineas, examples of Samson, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. That that was a final, um, I guess we could say, stamp of God upon a heart that had become so hardened and so depraved that God simply gave them um, what they both wanted and deserved. Um, we went through that a couple of weeks ago. Here, let's, go, let's come to our Romans chapter 8, verse 28. <clears throat> let's read that together if you have your, your Bible. Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good... For those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Whenever we read the word glorified in the Bible, think of the final result when we all get to heaven and we're with the Lord for all eternity. Now here's the question. Do all things work together on their own? No. no. All right. What does God use? And don't, don't necessarily think here. We're going to think wide. Obviously, it's in, it's in this text as well. It's in the first line up there. What does God use to, quote, work together all things? To them that love him. Boom. Boom. Remember um, John 3.16, whosoever believes upon him, love is an action of the will. What this is saying is that everything that God has to do, he has his plan, but he involves the choice, he involves the actions, he involves the obedience of people. Okay Once again, I would underline that in my Bible. It says Romans chapter eight verse twenty eight y'all probably have this memorized, right? Like most Baptists have this memorized, and then they also have something in there, like about casserole I don't know but and we know that for those who love God, obviously those who love God are also loved of God, but it says those who Love God. So that means that everything that ends in verse 30 with us being glorified, being in heaven with the Lord, after having been justified, being cleansed of sin, all of that could not exist without some type, some beginning. But where did the beginning start? Did the beginning start with I we love God first or did he love God us first? God. Yes. Bingo. So right there, we kind of have an anti or an un-American statement because we usually like to think that it begins with us. But the text says, right, 1 John, God was the one who loved us first. But right here, it has us reciprocating and reflecting that love back to God. And that's what we call a relationship, right? Remember in the book of Revelation, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb and how the church is the bride of Christ, what would you call a quote-unquote marriage in which the bride um, didn't really ever have any type of, I guess we could say, um, action to love the groom? That'd be kind of make an awkward wedding, wouldn't it? Right. Like I really, really love her, and she's just kind of like, I'm just a robot, baby. You know, I I don't know if I have any type of inclination towards you at all. I don't have any to... There's never been a volitional volitional choice to receive you. It's an amazing, amazing picture here of um, marriage. So as we come to the end... It's right here. But if God has rendered the future certain, do my choices make a difference? Two things. Number one, God's plan includes the means to the end of that plan. Okay? Remember Jesus, Matthew 28... Who's supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Yeah. Now, has the Lord done some amazing things through dreams and visions in the Muslim world? Absolutely. But often what happens is that a missionary is sent there later to explain the dream and the gospel and who Jesus was. All right? So God saving the people who he's going to save involves us being obedient. Number two. God's plan includes our obedience. Witnessing, missions, and that's an incredibly, incredibly... This right here. Does this make sense? That, that God's ultimate plan involves us. All right? And... Yes? Uh, yes? Um Susan, that's probably that's probably. Did y'all hear the question? Oh, yeah. Can we can we screw it up? Right? That's that's one of the best questions you can ask at this. And I've I've talked to um, some different friends about that. And at this point, this is what I, I think the Bible is. Actually, it's right here. The next one. Well, um, there's so much here. This was like no hope ever getting this done in one section. This you like the series that goes on for 500 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, let's, Let me just get to it over here, Susan. Um, if you guys want to write down these application points, I'll just, we'll just end here tonight. We've got seven seconds. Um, the cruise ship. Okay, A.W. Tozer gives this illustration of that exact thing. What relation do I have in, in terms of, of messing it up? He says that God's ultimate plan can be compared to as a cruise ship, any type of ship. All right? It's got an ultimate destination. You're on the ship. You can make any choice within the ship. You can do things that will cause you to be at odds with people. You can even get into trouble to where you're put down into the brig. Okay, So that where the ship ultimately ends up, obviously we're, we're not talking about somebody who says, well, I'm training the CIA and I took over the ship and I hijacked it or shipjacked it. Okay, Just like a normal normal scenario. Because by the way, all, all illustrations ultimately break down. Right? Any, any finite illustration about an infinitely great God is never going to be perfect. But he says that your choices on board the ship will affect the quality of your ride, but will not affect the final destination of the overall ship. Here's what I do know. I do know that blessings are here. And so if I'm serving the Lord, and some people say, well, how do I know if it's the right choice? Whenever you're witnessing, it's the right choice. You just have to rely upon that. Like, there's no bad mission trips, okay? Okay. Um, If they actually share the gospel, right? It's not, um, you know, just a vacation. So, So blessings are here. God desires to bless me. But even as we looked in the case of Joseph and his brothers, even their evil, wicked choices God eventually used to bring about his perfect will, that the evil, wicked choices were intended to prevent, which was, like Erickson said, Joseph's ascendancy. So really, I don't think that we can mess up God's plan, but I do think... That our choices can affect our joy. Um, our choices can definitely affect um, uh, the quality. Um, I, some people say like the, the crowns in heaven and the rewards. I don't know what all that's going to be, but we're going to give it all to the Lord. I think that the, in a sense there may be something that we could look back and say, I wish I had have done that, but still um, we're in heaven by grace alone. Does that make sense? That And once again, this is the best one that I've found, but we can, if y'all do we can walk through some of this next week. Yes. So is it kind of like if
1: God tells you to go and witness to someone or speak to somebody and you are afraid or for whatever reason you choose not to do it, the person, whatever work that God wants to
0: do in their heart is still going to
1: be accomplished, but it may not be through you, so you may not receive the
0: blessing that you could have? I would, I would be 100% agreement with that. Okay. Definitely. Definitely.
1: And I think yeah. to follow up on yeah. what she said. The
0: That's the a good way to put it, too.
1: Question: I, I think what she's trying to get at is, can you somehow prevent God's will from being fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimate answer to that is no, you can't, mm-hmm. because God is sovereign and He has infinite tools at His at His, his beck and call. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is, since you're talking about yourself, what are you going to do with God? What is your part in His plan? Mm-hmm. Now, I look back over my life. I, there was a large part of my life totally wasted from a god Godly perspective. And there's a loss there. Yeah. yeah but it, it, but it yeah. also says all of your all of your works, if you will, are like hay and stubble and precious stones. Stubbles burned away. All you yeah. have is, is the precious stones. Mm-hmm. The question is, how many precious stones do you? Mm. And how, do you wanna, how long do you want to wait before you start building up a few of those? Mm. You know, I'd kind of like to have a few things in the bank, so to speak, when I get to heaven. Right.
0: Yeah, good word.
1: I mean, it'll be, be a nice place to live.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and I love that phrase, and I know we're we over time, and some of you guys come straight here from work, which God will reward you for that. But uh, that phrase in, in Revelation chapter 21, that he will dwell with them, and that's in the Greek, it's the, the, the verb for tent, right? The, like a tent, but they put it in the, ver, the verbal form, like a continual action. God literally, if we want to do like a redneck translation, God will tent it up with them forever, and it's in that sense that it's not a mansion, but it's it's more, it's a, a particular dwelling place within a whole realm of of dwelling. So, like we, you know, totally destroyed the song a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. There's not going to be, you know, um, comparing of mansions and so forth. But um, definitely, obedience makes a difference. Thank you all so much. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll head out. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you, God, that you. Give us examples. You give us warnings in your word um, to obey you, to love you, and to be filled with joy, Lord, uh, or to reject you and to suffer heartache. So, would you help us, Lord, to have mercy, as it says in the book of Job, upon those who doubt, uh, pulling them from the fire? So, God, would you help us not to, um, to forget the people who don't know you? Would you
1: help us continue to pray and to work? In Jesus' name, amen.